0: This is Jan Cox, talk number 2537. Well, I wrote some stuff. Plus, uh, something else happened recently. I'm not sure what, how to preface to tell you what the point of this is, but by now you should. It's always the same point, isn't it? Well, you know, one of the oldest ideas Related to all this or one of the oldest that continually snakes throughout it for the last three or four thousand years all the way from Egypt, old Persia, India, China, Japan and places in between is the idea that it is the indiscriminate mind that is the awakened mind or but another way, another way it's been commonly put, uh, that the sleeping mind is simply the mind that chooses. Uh, I have written some uh, several things tonight in the papers I wrote that included the idea, because I was still trying to get you to consider it in a certain way. I did specify, which I assume that someone way back then, whoever noticed it, understood it. It should be that the sleeping mind, the distracted mind, the disturbed mind, the confused mind is the mind that is involved with unnecessary choices. Now, I know what they mean, assuming they knew what they meant. You can just say the mind that chooses, the mind that is discriminant. There was just an example. There is an organization, the name is something like the National Association of Radio Broadcasters, it's not the disc jockeys, it's not the personalities, it's the management, the owners of radio stations, the programmers. And there, it's happened many times in the last few years. But again, this year, there was a raging debate. Supposedly, they almost came to blows during discussion groups over the fact of how many radio stations now, especially on the AM dial, are devoted to talk radio, and that by some accounts, 90-plus percent of talk radio is adjudged to be right-wing, conservative personalities. And by definition, operational definition, generally everybody in the entertainment business is of a liberal bent. And so there was much discussion, attacks supposedly from certain people at the convention as to the owners and the programmers as to why there were so many right-wing conservative talk shows, talk show hosts, instead of more liberal ones. Now, I ask you this, what would happen if I had stood up or somebody stood up and said, that's very interesting, but why stop there? I want to know why so many of you owners only play country music. You know who you are, and I could start pointing at people if I'd been smart enough to know who. I could say, well, you, you own a chain of ten stations, and you format all ten of them. They play none but country. Why don't you play any hip-hop? Why don't you play any uh, classical? There's no accusation. No one's ever brought it up that some stations, some conglomerates specialize in nothing but, say, hip-hop. Others, country. Others, uh, you know, classical. Others, easy listening. Soft rock. Others, alternative rock. And if I said, why is that? Why are you people raising all this stink about some stations? And so many stations, the majority of stations, specializing in the talk area and conservative, right-wing, political oriented talk rather than left-wing liberal. Why do you pick on that when a far greater injustice is being done in certain stations, in certain conglomerates of stations, certain owners, that you only play one type of music? What would they say? It would be something like this, assuming that they even paid me any attention. If they really thought about it a second, somebody, some moderator, if I'd stood up while there was a panel discussion and I interrupted one of these arguments about why is there so much right wing conservative radio they would have said what you can surely do it someone would have said sir if you're serious which i can't believe this is ridiculous because music is just entertainment whereas these talk shows these are politically oriented and this is serious business how how can you stand there they would say to me and dare to compare The seriousness of political dialogue, conversation, and then the playing of mere records. Just in case, although I keep saying that the whole world really knows what's going on, and they just, just in case you ever wonder, do they really? This is all about to come out in the open. (laughs) Here's what I wrote for reading at this time. Grandfather, said a lad, before he died, my father mentioned the great secret and said that you knew what it was. I am now your only living relative. Will you please tell me what it is? The old man chuckled and said, I'm surprised to hear this. I don't know why your father told you that, but yes, it is true. And while I love you as though you were my own son, it was also long ago and the old man rubbed his chin and looked off in the distance truth be told I can't rightly remember exactly what it was and upon hearing these words the lad was more impressed by the old man than ever only those whose confrontation with life as it is has never been sufficiently direct and head on remain confused enough to try to describe it a man who had seen the great river was asked did you like it (laughs) and he replied what's the like and was then asked did you dislike it and he replied what's the dislike and was then asked are you sure you even saw the great river the man walked away (laughs) The normal outlet for thought is talk. And yet, a man who understands the reality of what talk is, talks not. Go figurine, Eileen. Headline, how it's different for the few. Yet, not so different. But, still different. Way off the normal different scale. That's the end of the headline. All men see life as composed of shapes, attributes, and their thoughts about the shapes and attributes. A man who goes after the secret then begins to see the shapes, attributes, and his thoughts about them as metaphors for something else. With a man who gets the secret in his sight, the situation is altogether different. To understand how it is different you got to be there and see for yourself another way to mark a distinction between ordinary men and those seeking the extraordinary mystical goal is that while most of what goes on in an ordinary man man's mind is completely useless he isn't particularly bothered by it but such is not the case with the seekers of the truth but what's hard for them to recognize is that their search is confined to the useless stuff that goes on normally in their mind. I don't think you heard it. What goes? Come on. The distinction between ordinary people, just another one that I made up. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. Another one that I have, has come to my attention. That's what I meant. That I have discovered is that what goes on in ordinary people's minds is completely useless but ordinary people don't seem bothered by it but such is not the case with those seeking the truth but they're in the same condition but what they don't realize is and they're seeking of the truth they're confined to the area of the useless stuff that's going on in their mind okay just wanted to be sure <laughs> A dog can make endlessly fine promises to himself about staying in his yard, but as soon as the sound of a passing car is heard, bam, he's off again. The tricky way by which you can make some use of the mind is by not tagging along after any idea that comes to mind, to your mind, as a result of someone else's idea. One of the early descriptions of being mentally in a dream was the following. Been there. Done that. Ad infinitum et tedium. I assume you can translate. Because as a matter of fact. Uh, tedium is not even the classical. Latin way to pronounce the word. But. If you saw it written. You would understand. Been there. Done that. Ad infinitum et tedium. Over and over to the point. Of weariness, of tediousnessnessnessness. If more people would practice, hmm, I forgot more Latin. This time I had to make it up. So, <clears throat> if more people would practice, thought us interrupt us. <laughs> there wouldn't be so many unwanted ideas filling up our orphanages for the useless. <laughs> to that same degree we're all unwed mothers <laughs> as we're carrying—we're pregnant carrying around ideas that we have no idea who their father was or what the hell we're doing with them that is however just my opinion that was not here in the papers I just made that I, that observation just came to mind back to the reading physical likes and dislikes are necessary to stay alive the purpose of mental ones Are less certain. Well, I can do better than that. Physical likes and dislikes are necessary for a man to survive. Mental likes and dislikes are necessary for him to be confused. And to be an active player in a confused collective game with all other men. From this, you could say that an enlightened man is one who leaves his ball with the other players and goes on home. <laughs> I assume you get it as opposed to the classical take your ball and go home. An enlightened man goes home, but he leaves the ball there with the rest of the people playing the imaginary collective game. But better put than that even would be to say that to an enlightened man, the distinction between the game out there and his observation of same in here. Becomes blurred to the point of extinction. That would be another description I say of an enlightened man. You can't tell the difference. There is no longer an operational distinction between what you observe going on out there and your internal observations of what you observe going on out there. Ah, yes, but they're two different things. Ah, yes, but go to hell. (laughs) I mean, sorry, couldn't think of any other way to put it right then. I know it didn't make any sense, but that was just the way I felt about it. Back to the reading. Thus did the speaker address the audience. Quote, Are all of you seeking to understand the reality of the self? And they all yell back, Yes! And he continued. Then do you want me to plainly explain to you what the self actually is, or... Do you want me to tell you things about which you can then engage in endless speculation? Endless speculation, they roared in response. (laughs) On his first day as an apprentice mechanic, a lad was told by a veteran, quote, whatever is the problem with the car, make the customer feel as though it is somehow his fault. The garage of seeking the truth. Many drive in, few drive out. An allegory that makes immediate and perfect sense is either a flawed allegory or else is an allegory that was used when one was not needed. I think I'll go to Myrtle Beach. Oh, by that you mean that you're going to try and alter your mental propensity for despair into a more cheerful outlook. <laughs> no, I mean I think I'll go to Myrtle Beach. <laughs> <laughs> a tricky aspect of trying to tame the wild dog of the mind is the proper seeming assumption that the way to do so is to bring him into the house. When? When? From an equally valid view, you could just turn him loose completely. The key word being completely. Whereby the distinctions between inside the house and outside are lost. To get ahead in life, you must hear voices. To even maintain normalcy, you must hear voices. To even be just conscious you must hear voices. To realize what's going on requires you, you must personally discover where the voices are coming from. And here's a hint that has confounded quite a few. The source of the words has no name. In fact, to be honest with you, it's confounded everybody except those who actually did the deed. And now a super simplified description of the distracted state of mind. Quote, just one damn thing after another, and another, and another, and another, and another. And now some more history of the great secret struggle. There was once a school devoted to the treatment of the distracted state of mind, which went by the name, stop that train. Can't you just tell that rereading some of them won't do a damn better? <laughs> Headline more about insides and outsides, for those of you whose ears are not caught in the screen door. The sleeping mind is the the sleeping mind in the everyday world is a hummingbird in a world of hawks. The world of hawks is the awakened mind. Again, the sleeping mind, as it is in the everyday world, is like a hummingbird in a world of hawks. The world of hawks is the awakened mind. Instead of the game rock, papers, and scissors, one man changes it to I know and I don't know, whereby nobody ever wins. But he knows that going in. (laughs) Regardless of what they claim, men do not usually go in search of truth and enlightenment, but rather unwittingly chase after echoes of their own ignorant, deluded words. Like a man alone, trapped in a maze of canyons whose every thought creates echoes, which he takes to be the voices of others, and after which he foolishly runs. A genuine definition of being asleep and living a dream is the pursuit of words with no realization of what you're doing. Headline the simple truth of the matter. No one knows what being alive is all about, but everyone lives what being alive is all about. First voice, tell me that you know. Tell me that you know. Second voice, but I'd be lying to you. First voice. Ah, so you don't know. Second voice. Why do you say that? First voice. Because if you did know, you wouldn't be talking about such dream stuff as lying. In a hen house, if you hear a quack, then be assured that it is natural for some chicken in there to sound like a duck. No one knows what being alive is all about, but everyone lives what being alive is all about. Which is another reason to look outside where you actually live. Rather than look inside where you just quack about living. (laughs) Headline, another ranking to rankle the already rattled. The foolish believe they know what's going on. Ordinary men never think about it. The would-be enlightened believe they know what's going on. The enlightened never think about it. A man who for years had spoken on the matter of enlightenment in a manner often confounding one day said to his persistent audience, quote, how many of you have reached the point now that you totally feel as though you don't know what you're doing? Raise your hands. And they all raised their hands. And he said, see, you don't totally know not, not know what you're doing. You need to raise your hand when I ask the question. Question, have you ever met anyone who was actually enlightened? answer. Have you ever met a flashlight that knew it was a flashlight? And now the final sorry truth. Those who see what's going on no longer know what's going on. I'm sorry, but that is the truth. Good night and cry safely. Uh... I kind of like this one. Page 12. That I secretly slipped out of the rest of them while you people weren't looking. Regardless of what they claim, men, including mystics, most of them, but men do not go out seeking. And let me point out that I am putting all of us, I know for a fact all of us are either there or have been there. All of us still have the ability to revert. So here it is, that men do not, including us, men do not start out seeking truth and enlightenment, even though they claim it. What they're seeking, what they're chasing after, another way of putting it, that as I said, I find very apt, pissy, titillating, is what we're chasing after if you before you know about it you're not chasing after enlightenment or awakening or the truth what you're chasing is echoes that your mind makes every time it thinks i got to say again i should shut up right there all right i go ahead Talk about the impossible. Talk about invisible, melted pudding. That never was there to start with. Unless you're totally empty-headed, clear-headed. You can be sitting around reading a book. Just sitting around thinking deep thoughts. Sitting around to yourself making quite insightful, original observations. That without any doubt at the moment seems to be uh, an effort, a movement closer to the truth. uh, Some new understanding that you can just feel. You're just certain is taking you closer to a more permanent state of alertness, enlightenment. That either... And sometimes you get out of a book or you believe perhaps you heard it from me. But other times you do it to yourself. The latter seems to me that is the trickiest to see and I would assume is the last that most people realize. But you can be reading someone else's words, let's say. I don't care who, whoever you're a hero, whoever you believe you've gotten the most out of. But you're reading something. And it's describing methods or the person giving their history of what they went through. Whatever it is, you're reading it and there's no doubt. You have no feeling. It never crossed your mind. But what? This is a benefit. Not just entertaining, but it is beneficial information that is turning your mind and your own thinking in such a way. That you're beginning to have original, right at the moment perhaps, thoughts, new insights. You believe that you are indeed chasing the truth. That you are in pursuit of enlightenment or a more efficient way for you to achieve enlightenment or for a, a way for you to help shore up, to help reaffirm your understanding. And if you can see it, if you can see it in a quite simple way, it's, it takes... Easy to say and hard to do. Get a look at it. You are not chasing after the truth. You're not in pursuit of enlightenment. You're not studying someone else's words, even words that claim to be a roadmap to enlightenment, even that may claim to be a history of the writer's successful journey to the great liberation. You know what you're doing? I don't care that you're reading. I don't care that you're sitting there listening to me or someone else talk. You know what you're doing? And it's just plain as hell when you can turn and do it. Every time your mind has a thought, it's like this. I didn't know how else to put it. I started to say shadows. I've done that a lot. But it struck me that this is true. If you can hear me, it's like you're living in a maze of canyons, you know, like labyrinths that just go on and you're not even sure. And you're down there And people don't realize, but every time you have a thought in your mind, down there alone, in this maze, you don't know where all it goes. You're just wandering through it. But you know how it is down in a canyon. That if you actually spoke, it would create an echo. And if you were sort of on the moronic side, I guess you could make a noise and hear an echo. And if you weren't all that bright, you might think, well, there's someone here. And you could start wandering down other canyons trying to find them. You could holler out. Are you there? Again, you've got to be, I guess, fairly dense. But to hear a nickel holler, are you there? Maybe the first time or two, you think, there is somebody there. They heard me, and they're shouting back. But we'll assume that after, you know, four or five instances, so we'll let that go, the overt shouting out. But here is the best description of the one I like tonight, today. When your mind has a thought, when a thought goes through your mind, just you, there alone, it creates an echo, or a shadow, as I normally put it, but it creates an echo, it creates its own sound, and that's what you're going after. You may be reading somebody else's words, sitting there reading a book, and it's saying, the way to achieve a more permanent state of enlightenment is to at all times, never let your consciousness stray, From the thoughts in your own mind. And it might hit you. Well I have never heard it. I guess I knew that. But that's put in such. A striking manner. That. I'm going to write. I'm going to underline it. Or you may stop and look off. And it seems to trigger your own understanding in a new way. Or seems to expand some understanding you had. That is not what happens. If you can see it in a certain way. Obviously, you're reading somebody's words. As I said, you could be seeing, listening to someone talk, giving some sort of lecture like me sitting here. And you believe if you don't watch it. The mind simply believes this. It accepts it, that you are listening and following my words, or you're reading a book, reading a paper, and following someone else's words. And then, as I said, it's more subtle, but then you believe that you're actually having thoughts. And I say that none of that's true. And I say it's delightful, if you can say it, a delightful new exposition, or expose, even, of what's going on. Expose. Just realize that every time you have thoughts in your mind, it creates an echo. And I repeat, it's like you're a man down in a maze of canyons. Of course, in this case, you don't even speak out loud. You just have a thought, and then you hear An echo. It creates an echo so that as you hear other voices, you think. That is, when you read, you think you're hearing somebody else's voice there on the paper. No, you're not. And there's no way out of that. Except to be awake and be clear-headed. That sounds better than empty-headed, doesn't it? Sounds more like something you struggle for. But <laughs> might have. But it lends itself more to a metaphorical interpretation. <laughs> as your mind can create its own echo like, well, clear-headed means you know, clear-sighted, insightful. Empty-headed doesn't sound to be the same thing as clear-headed. But if I'm not badly mistaken, empty is a Synonym or one of the defining words and one of the definitions of clear. Uh, This is something I don't know what else to say. If you really pursue it on yourself, it's the kind of thing that will finally back you, speaking about mazes of canyons, that you can finally, if you're lucky, I guess, find yourself that you have backed your own thinking into a corner. It's to the point that a mirror can almost turn fast enough to see itself, that what I say is almost impossible is for the mind to recognize itself. That you can take it to the point that it almost puts it into that kind of shaking the machine where the thermostat is just right there on the spot and it turns on and off and on and off and on and off. Is that you suddenly realize that that description is fair. That you don't, you're not chasing, you're not pursuing, you're not considering, you're not pondering other people's ideas you're not even pondering pursuing your own ideas what you call ideas are echoes of something already happened in your brain and you hear it in such a way as you take it to be away from you outside of you on a page from someone else's mind perhaps even from someone else's mind from someone else's era that you're hearing it across time You're not hearing anything. You're not chasing anything outside yourself. Well, that's a real knee slapper when you realize it, that you're sitting there having important thoughts, useful thoughts, deep, insightful, alert, metaphysical, mystical thoughts. And you realize what you're having as we call it, what you're having. But what you're doing right then is you're listening to echoes that you don't realize where they came from. They're echoes of stuff that already happened in your mind. What I was talking about unnecessary choices was, uh, I put it about as simply as I know how, that I assume can't be other than obvious to anybody once I say it is that physical likes and dislikes are absolutely required. That is the feelings by which we live. That us and all other creatures have likes and dislikes that are native to your species. And without them, you couldn't survive. We couldn't live. But what is the purpose of mental likes and dislikes? And anyone who can give an answer to that, they should own a radio station. In other words, anyone who can answer that, but notice your mind can answer that. Your mind probably already did, or to be charitable. Your mind wants to if you'd let it, right? If I say, what is the use in mental likes and dislikes? Could you not answer? Could not any intelligent person answer? I say that if you if you can find any answer in you, then you should look again. It's another way. I found it a more practical way at one time of trying to consider the idea that it was spoken, noted several thousand years ago that the awakened mind is a mind that is simply indiscriminate. John, yeah, I'm sure. It, Anyone who ever ponders that, if I tried to push it on some ordinary group of people, if I was making some public lecture, or if somebody read that who thought they were a philosophical mind, what would they take to be, what would they take it to mean that an awakened mind, an enlightened mind would be an indiscriminate mind, a mind lacking discrimination? Surely, the most obvious, they would think, well, that means that people, an enlightened man would be more tolerant. Let's say that if he was an enlightened Hindu, he would have no, he would be completely tolerant of Muslims, Buddhists. If he was Jewish, he would be tolerant. If he was Greek, he'd be tolerant of the Albanians crushing at his border and along lines like that. But then if I pushed it and I said, well, that's child's play. That's nothing. That's not what it means. Being tolerant of somebody's, uh, some other person's uh, different religion, their different nationality, their different culture. That's nothing. That's, that's not what it means. What would they do then? What would they think? And if I said, and it's got nothing to do with being tolerant of a conflicting uh, political system. What would an ordinary intelligent man's mind do if he really tried to consider it? What other kinds of discrimination are left? If you're not going to have a discriminating mind, and that's supposedly some of some great benefit, that that's what enlightenment is, what the hell does it mean? Would be what the mind says. Am I not giving a fair description? What would an ordinary person make of it? An ordinary intelligent person. If it means not being discriminated... Not discriminating against people of a different race, religion, nationality, political system. What the hell that says there? Well, try this. Take all the things you just mentioned. They go, yeah. And I go, all right, everything that's left. Oh no, you don't. No, you don't mean that. That's that's ridiculous. Can anyone see the connection between that one? Well, let me read a little more after that, just to, because it's connected to what I said. That Physical likes and dislikes are necessary to stay alive, but what is the purpose of mental ones? And then I said, well, I'll go ahead and answer. The physical likes and dislikes are necessary for a man to survive. Mental likes and dislikes, here's what they're necessary for. They're necessary... For a man to stay confused, to be confused, uncertain, and to be an active player in a collective confused game with all other men. Now, that's what it takes. See, to believe that there is some importance, that political talk radio is of more importance (laughs) than than commercial, than just regular uh, top 40 radio. you have to make a distinction. There is a difference. There is no difference. It is a game of confusion. It is a game of likes and dislikes. And the only purpose that mental likes and dislikes serve, the only purpose, is to keep an individual man sufficiently confused so that he will play in the secondary game with all other people that is one of total confusion, such as Debating politics. Arguing religion. Arguing morality. Debating cultural norms. Debating literature, art, music. Realize without having likes and dislikes of a sort that are literally meaningless to physical survival. There would be... No world of civilization. We would not be social creatures. We'd be pack animals. I was going to ask in conclusion, if you could see the connection between that little news item and this one. No one knows what being alive is all about. But everyone lives what being alive is all about. Uh, I've said in the last couple of nights again a version of this thing, but it goes like this: is that people like us, mystics, claim they want to know what life's all about, and they see clearly, they're, they're correct in their initial view, that other people, that there are no ordinary sources that know what's going on. To me, that's more than just to me, but that is the minimum definition of a mystic to start with, is that they have to realize that the normal channels, religion being the prime example, philosophy, politics, just anything that is readily available to them, that appears to them, to their mind is what amounts to their understanding. But anything that's regularly available does not explain life. Now, it takes that. You just have to be wired up that way. It just has to happen in your life, from my view, or you're, you're not even a minimal mystic ever. You never did even get started. You're just looking for a group to hang out with. You just had a very lacking social life. It was just a social undertaking. So it has to be that you are aware, where it's your conviction, your belief that in, through normal channels there is no information about what life's about. There's no knowledge about what life's really about. You've checked out the ordinary claims of most religions, philosophies, and et cetera, and you, Without any great intellectual effort, you realize that is not, that explains nothing. Absolutely nothing. And yet that's what the rest of the world takes they got different versions of it. Perhaps the world you grew up in was the Catholic description of what life's about. But then you realize, well, half the world, at least, over half is not Catholic, but they still have their own kind of religious view. So you realize that everyone has some similar attempted explanation of what's going on, but you realize that none of them, or to you, none of them explain anything. So you believe that you're after an explanation of what's going on. I will reread my item. No one knows what being alive is all about. No one, but everyone lives what being alive is all about. When I said that I was re-quoting myself, it's the fact that physically, I keep saying this, and no one seems—I don't know whether you get anything out of it or not—but it was really of great help to me for a long time that I would bring this back up to myself and realize it. That in a sense. Physically speaking, if you make this arbitrary and non-existent a distinction between a man's mind and his body, which is just arbitrary for the sake of what we're trying to talk about, then I say that physically, everybody on this planet is living an enlightened life. Of course, not everybody. But when they're not living an enlightened life, the rest of the being people instantly Non mystically understand it. If someone's engaged in self destructive physical behavior, I mean, if someone's actually engaged that they uh, continue, they sit around and they cut themselves. A, a little less dramatic, so it seems, because it's more socially acceptable, if a person is an alcoholic. They're not living an enlightened life, if they're addicted to drugs. But at any rate, it, if they're not living an enlightened life, everybody around them immediately understands it. They just don't call it that. But I'm saying that physically, everyone, all ordinary people, live a fully enlightened life. You can't do otherwise and be ordinary. If you're doing otherwise, you're not ordinary, and you are literally engaged in self-destructive, not mentally. You're engaged in physically self-destructive behavior. You're committing suicide, perhaps gradually. So you're by no means ordinary. You're not ordinary. You're not ordinary. I say that out of the six billion, all the ordinary people on this planet, no matter their race, religion, politics, cultural, everybody is leading an enlightened life. An enlightened life is based upon choices of drinking water, perhaps some fruit juices, stuff that's good for you, and not drinking alcohol, not drinking lie not drinking Drano. You make choices based on likes and dislikes. Mentally, the world that is not limited to the physical world, what I keep calling the secondary world, the world that's of most importance, or it seems to be most important, the world that most people think about most of the time, the social world, the civilized world, the world not of just eating but of dining, The world not of just fucking, but of love. The world of not just getting in out of the coal, but of architecture, of home furnishing. In other words, everything above the physical survival level, as wonderful as that is, as much fun as eating good food, good sex, a warm bed, as much fun as all that is, what do you think about most of the time? Something else. And in that world where you think about it, it is entirely composed of you thinking about what you like and dislike. What restaurant do you like and dislike, not just because of food, but where you may go to night based on likes and dislikes that one of them you dislike because every time you go in, the maitre d' never remembers you. And there's one where you do like because they always treat you like you're a big shot. All that kind of shit. I say that everyone lives a life that witnesses the fact that they know physically what life's all about. But I'm telling you that nobody mentally knows what life's all about. And one reason you don't know and why people think they know is because they depend upon likes and dislikes, which is the only way that the mind can work ordinarily. Remember, I ended up, if you like that, the final item tonight was headline, and now the final sorry truth. Which was, those who see what's going on, no longer know what's going on. See, because to know what's going on, you've got to think about what's going on. And if you think about what's going on, I guarantee you, you don't know what's going on. Anyone who thinks about what's going on doesn't know what's going on. If I sit here, to me, and I assume you agree, you know I'm not bragging on me, but... As far as I'm concerned, and evidently some of you agree, I can describe what's going on in life better than anybody I've ever read about or heard about. But at any time I'm describing what's going on, to some degree, do you hear me? I don't know what's going on. Now, I know what's going on, because I know that me sitting here talking about what's going on is not what's going on. <laughs> do you? Do you? So you physically, everybody knows what's going on. Physically, everyone knows the secret of life. See, physically, everyone is awake. Physically, everyone is enlightened. Physically, everyone is part of the great liberation. That's it. Now, mentally, many people think they're awake. Many people think they're enlightened. Many people think they're half-enlightened. Many people think they're enlightened sometimes. Most, Most people who think about enlightenment think that everybody else is not enlightened. And it just goes on and on and on. But here it is. Once you know what's going on, that is, once you see what's going on, you no longer know what's going on. So what? Anyway, it gets kind of verbally. It's like trying to get a centipede to tap dance. <laughs> once you know what's going on, you know not to think about what's going on because what do you think about what's going on is something other than what's going on even though you think well I'm thinking about that, that I'm looking at oh good yes but I'm I'm looking right at and thinking about it I'm, I'm analyzing that I know you are but doesn't that count for something sure <laughs> who am I to say no you gotta say no right. of course you can't say no you gotta look at it and just before you're gonna say no you realize I? Hey. i wanted to say no but i'd like that too much i should shut up but i won't i can't resist pointing out again that somebody should think to themselves does that mean if i was sitting around and having great thoughts myself and suddenly had no thoughts about the very thing i was having thoughts about having something to do with the nature of awakening and sleep and i suddenly had no thoughts that i might be onto something <laughs> For you people on tape, I just shot the finger pistols like a, ha, since you weren't here to see it in person. It was an affirmative gesture. But then there you sit, just empty-headed thing, well, now what? (laughs) Jesus, I have to do everything? I don't know now what. It's your empty head, don't ask me now what? That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at JanCox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.